0: Please stand. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. This is a day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we've sung a song this morning that says, we love you. We love you. Now I'm reminded, Lord Jesus, that you said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So, Lord, work obedience in our hearts. Work it through us, Lord, that we really obey the word of God. Lord, we thank you for everyone who's here this day. I pray that you will use me as I bring this message, and hearts will be open to receive. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Shake hands with two people, just two. I'm looking, I'm looking. Some of you people are so disobedient. I mean it. Uh, Come on now. Okay, Okay. In 1776, 56 men signed their names to a document that would change the world. Even before they signed it, they knew they would probably pay a high cost for what they were doing. And they were right. Five of those men were captured as traitors, they were tortured, then they were killed. Nine died from wounds or hardships they received in the fighting. Twelve had their homes destroyed. Two had sons who were killed in the war. The final sentence of the document they signed, the Declaration of Independence, says this, And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Those 56 men were men of unusual commitment. And they paid a high cost for that commitment. They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their honor for something they believed in. And because they did, you and I are citizens of the greatest nation on the earth, the United States of America. In our series Stronger, we've been looking at the various areas where we can be stronger Spiritually, in our Christian life this year. Today, we want to focus on being stronger in commitment. Here's one of the definitions I found for the word commitment it's a promise to be loyal to someone or something. Our commitments help define our lives. And they make us stronger in our loyalty to someone or something. Nothing good in life happens without commitment. Because commitment is what turns dreams into reality. Commitment turned the dreams of the signers of the Declaration of Independence into the reality of the United States of America. I know you've heard it before, but it's true. God is looking for people that he can use to make a difference in this world. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are, what? Fully committed to him. God is looking for people he can use. But there's one big requirement. You have to be strong in your commitment to Him. And I want us to look this morning at five aspects of being committed to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. First, by faith, we must commit our lives to God's Son, Jesus Christ. This is foundational because you and I were put on this earth to know God through a relationship with his son, Jesus. It's the most important thing in our life because it deals with the question of life purpose and who we're going to live for. Whether we acknowledge it or not, all of us are going to live for someone and their approval. We're going to live for the approval of our friends, family members, our employer, the approval of a spouse, Or maybe our own approval. It's going to be one or a combination of those we're going to live for. Or we're going to live for God and His approval. It's our choice. To be stronger spiritually, it's essential that each of us start by committing our lives to Jesus. So what does it mean to commit my life to Jesus Christ? Paul made this simple enough... That it's going to be hard for anyone who reads it to say they don't understand. In Romans 10 9, Paul says this If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you may be saved, you shall be saved, you will be saved. Paul said, here's what you do if you want to be saved and you want to commit your life to Christ. First, believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. It's what Easter's all about that we'll celebrate in just a few weeks. And then you intentionally declare with your life that Jesus is your Lord. The word Lord is an old English word for the one who's in charge Or the manager. So in other words, you let everyone know that God will now be in charge of your life. Every commitment that we make has a cost associated with it. It could be the commitment you make to be a musician. The cost is the long hours of practice and the discipline it requires. You can ask any of our band members about that. It could be the commitment you make to get a college education. The cost is many papers and tests, thousands of hours of study, let alone the large sum of money that will cost you or your parents. It could be the commitment you made to your spouse in your marriage vows. The cost will be your time and your devotion and your sacrifice that you make for the one that you love with all your heart. Every commitment in life has a cost, but it also has a benefit. Most of us look at the commitments we're thinking about making, and we say to ourselves, is this benefit that I'm going to make of commitment worth the cost I'm going to have to pay? So what exactly is the cost we pay for making a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and making him the lord of our lives. What well, probably most important cost is giving up control of our lives and putting Jesus in charge of everything. Not just that hour on Sunday morning between 10 and 11. We say I'm going to go with God's plan for my life so he can fulfill the purpose he has for me. That's the cost. It's very clear throughout the Scriptures. It's not hidden in small print. He is to be the Lord of our lives. So what's the benefit? That's the cost. What's the benefit of making a commitment to be a follower of Jesus? Well, let me give you four. In the first place, you get all your sins forgiven. Past, present, and future. Second, you get the Holy Spirit's power and help For living a daily life in this world. Third, you get to fulfill God's purpose for your life. And fourth, you get to go to heaven and not hell when you die. Now come on, those are amazing benefits, right? Boy, you're frozen out there. In my book, for my life, those are amazing benefits. And I say to myself, why would anyone want to miss out on any one of them, let alone all four of them? And I know, after being here as long as I have, most of you have already made this first commitment to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of your lives. But there are some of you that maybe you haven't done that yet. And I would say, why not do it today on Valentine's Day? Make the Lord the Lord of your lives. Well, once we've committed our lives to Jesus Christ, there are four more commitments he wants us to make. The second one is we must commit to be a member of his family. Peter writes this, All honor to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is his boundless mercy that has given us the privilege of being born again, So that we are now members of God's own family. Now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose again from the dead. As his followers, God doesn't expect us to go through life all by ourselves. He wants us to be around other Christians for the support and the encouragement and the admonition that we need. He does this through something we call the church. I believe, along with Peter here, that it's a privilege to be born again and to be a part of God's family, which makes up the church around the world. Now, God knows, because of my human limitations, that I can't be in fellowship with His whole church. I can only be here this morning. And that's why he made provision for my human limitations through something we call the local church. The local church, whether it's an Assembly of God church or a Baptist church or a Lutheran church or a non-denominational church as us, all of us, all denominations, are part of the larger worldwide church. In heaven someday, the whole church minus all its labels, will gather together around the throne of God. But until then, we have this precious thing called the local church. And I believe, not just because I'm a pastor, because I believed this before I became a pastor, I believe it's imperative that Christians are part of a local church. Just like a child without a family is considered an orphan. A Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. You see, the Christian life involves more than just believing. The Christian life involves belonging. The Bible says we're not only to be committed to following Christ and making Him the Lord of our lives, we're supposed to be committed to other members of God's family Through the local church. God never meant for you and me to go through life on our own. After you commit your life to Jesus Christ, the next step in growing stronger spiritually in your Christian life is to commit yourself to a local church family. Now, there are many theologically sound and good churches in Madison County. Many. They teach God's Word. They love people. Faith fellowship happens to be one of them. And we welcome you with open arms here. And we would be honored if you make this your church home. We would be honored and we would be blessed. Because we know there are a lot of good churches out there. My friends, none of us are ever going to grow stronger spiritually By living a lone ranger type Christian. Trying to do life by ourselves. It will not happen for you. So after you commit your life to following Jesus, then make the commitment to be a part of a local church. The third aspect of being fully committed to God and His Son is this. We must commit to being a model... Of the life of Jesus Christ. A model of the life of Jesus Christ. We learn to do this by reading the Bible. When we become a Christian, Jesus, in essence, says, I want you to represent me in the way you live your life. In other words, I want you to be a model of my life. So when people see you, they will see me. So here's the question. Has anyone ever told you they thought you were a model of the life of Christ? You know, we can snicker at that. And I don't know if anybody's ever told me that. But if not, if they've not told us that, here's my prayer. They will someday. Look at us and see, you're a model of Jesus. As we grow spiritually, God wants us to act the way Jesus acted. He wants us to think the way Jesus thought. God wants you and me to love people and treat them the way Jesus treated people. Our behavior, our attitudes and actions have to come under the lordship of Christ. You remember years ago, there were bracelets they were kind of rubber, like a big rubber band that said WWJD on it? Anybody ever have one of those? What did the WWJD stand for? What would Jesus do? Don't see those very often, but we ought to have that thought stamped on our hearts and continually remind ourselves What would Jesus do in the situations I'm facing in my life? What would Jesus do? This is the goal of growing stronger spiritually. It's sometimes referred to as spiritual maturity. God wants us to grow up spiritually and model the life of Jesus before the world. He wants us to be like Jesus in every area of our lives. Again, let me refer to the fact that it's easy for us to be like Jesus from 10 to 11 on Sunday morning. But at home, is it easy for you to be like Jesus? At work, are you struggling there being like Jesus? Your recreation time? So how does that happen? You see, there's no message you can hear No seminar or conference you can attend that will all of a sudden make you stronger spiritually and make you more like Jesus. This is a lifelong process. And hold on to your seats. Here's the theological term for it. Sanctification. You can look that up at home this afternoon. But there is one thing that can help us mightily in this process. It's the Bible. As I was working on this message, I wondered, not out loud, but in my mind, how many books there were in the world, you know, in the whole world, how many books have there been in the world since the creation of time, whatever. So I went to Google, and I love Google. Anybody like Google, like I like Google? Siri fans or whatever, I don't know. So I asked Google, I said, Google, how many books are in the world? And you can do this too. She'll talk to you too. It's not just me that she likes. Now Google told me there are 129 million, 880 different books that have been published in the world. So of those nearly 130 million books... Only one book reveals the true thoughts and attitudes and actions of Jesus Christ. Now, you won't find this on the flyleaf of your Bible. But every Bible comes with an unwritten guarantee. That guarantee is this. The more you get the Bible into your heart and your mind, the more likely you're going to become like Jesus. Now, just so you know, that doesn't happen by accident. You don't buy a Bible and you set it on your coffee table or on your bookshelf or put it under your pillow at night and expect it to magically fill you and make you more like Jesus. It's not some talisman or some witch doctor woo thing. You know how we get the truths of the Bible into our hearts and minds? We've got to commit to it. If I don't commit to the Bible, I'll never read it. I must make the commitment to God's Word because as I become committed to His Word, I make it more possible that someday someone will come up to me and say, you know, David, I've observed your life and you're kind of like a model of Jesus. The only way it's going to happen You and I have to commit ourselves to reading and learning and doing what the Bible has to say to us. In Proverbs, we read this, Commit yourself to instruction. Listen carefully to the words, to words of knowledge, in reference to God's Word. Since January 1st of 2016, each of us have had 1,000 66 hours of life, which is 63,960 minutes. Now, I did those calculations based on a 10 a.m. stop time this morning. So we have to add a few minutes right now, depending on what time it is. So this is going to be an exciting time for you. Because it's probably the only time you'll ever hear a preacher ask you to check your watch during a message. Isn't that exciting? This preacher's going to ask you to look down on your phone or your watch and tell me what time it is. So hear it. Get ready now. Don't miss it. What time is it? 10.45? So 63,960 minutes plus, what, 45 minutes? So a little over 64,000 minutes. Of life is what we've had since the beginning of the year And I don't want to meddle here, but how many of those minutes? Have you invested in reading the Bible this year? You do the math Have you invested even 1% of your time in 2016 reading the Bible? How many of you believe the answers we need to live strong Christian lives are found on your favorite television show. Anybody? How many of you believe those answers are found in magazines like People and Time Magazine and Sports Illustrated? Anybody? How many of you believe the answers that Christ's followers need are found on Facebook or Twitter? And I know once in a while there's some testimonies and that that go forth. Okay. Well, we're kind of in agreement here. I believe the answers I need to live my life for Jesus Christ are going to find, be found in that one book of all those hundreds of millions of books, the Bible. And if we are in agreement, then why do we spend more time watching and reading something we don't believe has the truth we need than spending time reading the book of truth. In order to grow stronger spiritually in my Christian life, I need to make a commitment to read the Bible. It's there that I'm going to learn how to model the life of Jesus Christ before the world. If I'm going to become stronger spiritually, I must first commit my life to Jesus Christ... Let him be the Lord of my life. Then I commit to being a member of his family through a local church. And after doing those two things, I must then commit to being a model of the life of Christ by reading and learning from the Bible. The fourth thing I must do, I must commit to be a minister of God's grace. Now here's the thing God put you on this earth. And gave you certain abilities and talents. There's not a person in this room. That doesn't have. Some abilities and talents. That have been. Given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ. God had a purpose to doing that. He expects you to use. Those abilities. And those talents. To minister his grace. In order that we might help other people. Peter Goes on and says this God has given each of you some special abilities to be sure, excuse me, be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. When you use your abilities and your talents, and it's being displayed every morning around this place, when you use them unselfishly to help other people, it's called ministry. No matter our age or our income or our intelligence, every Christian is called to be a minister of God's grace. A non-ministering Christian is a contradiction. Now, God doesn't ask us to minister to every need in the world, but he does ask us to do something. Reminds me of a story I heard many years ago. A 10-year-old boy was walking along the beach. His family was camped there for the day. He wasn't playing in the surf, and he wasn't making sandcastles, but he was picking up some of the hundreds of starfish that had been washed up on the beach. And he would walk by, and he would pick them up one by one, and then he would kind of gently put it back in the ocean, hoping that it would go back into into the sea. And a man walked by and told him, he said, son, don't you know there are too many starfish for what you're doing to mount to any good? It's not going to make a difference. The young boy looked at the man, and he was holding up a starfish in his hand, and he said, sir, it's going to make a difference to this one. God doesn't ask you to do everything, but he does ask you to do something to help someone else. And if you want to know what God wants you to do to minister His grace to others, then you need to examine and think about your talents and, and your abilities and your personality style and all your life experiences. And remember that God never wastes any of that. It's like God can make a big, wonderful stew out of all that. And He can take where you're at right now on Valentine's Day 2016 at 4719 Seminary Road. And he can use all those things from your past and your present to help you become a minister of his grace to someone who needs your help. And many people need our help. Could be one of your family members. Could be a neighbor. Could be a coworker. It could be God wants you to serve on the James gang here at the church. Or out in the parking lot on a day like today. Don't you love those guys? Maybe God wants you working in the nursery, or the cafe, or the tech booth, or or the zone area. Maybe He wants you to get involved in one of our local mission outreaches. Whatever it might be, God will use you to be a minister of His grace if you will commit. In eternity, we'll be accountable to God for all that he put into our lives that we could have used to be ministers of his grace. Paul writes this, So each of us will have to explain to God about the things we do. He's talking about what they're doing presently. We're going to have to give an account to God someday in eternity. What will you say if God asks you, A question such as this, did you use those abilities and talents I gave you on anything besides yourself, your family, and making a living? Or if he asks you this, did you do anything to make the world a better place? Well, there's one other commitment, the fifth commitment that God wants us to make. We must commit to being messengers of his love. I believe John 3.16 is God's message of love to you and me and the whole world. And I'd like you to read it with me, please. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, So that whoever believes in him may not be lost but have eternal life. God's gift of love to us. Is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest Valentine Day gift and we could have Jesus Christ's love. And what He did for us in order that we might be forgiven of our sins and that we might have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. That love changed my life. And I know it's changed many of your lives. And that love is going to change many lives in 2016. And we're going to witness much of that here. you know what an ambassador is? We hear about ambassadors of different countries. and An ambassador is somebody who represents someone else through their words and their actions. The Bible says that when you and I received God's gift of love, Jesus Christ, into our lives... We then became his ambassadors. You didn't know that when you walked in here. You're an ambassador. Paul says, we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. And we're representatives to those we encounter every day. For some people in your circle of acquaintances, you may be the only Christian they will ever know. As messengers of his love, we're to tell people, be reconciled to God. Paul said we're to beg them. What does that mean? I'm going to go back a few verses and see what Paul says about that. Paul says, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. God has done it all. He sent Christ to make, what's the word? Between himself and us. And he has given us the work of making, what's the word? Peace between himself and others. What we mean is that God was in Christ offering what? Peace And forgiveness to the people of this world. And he has given us the work of sharing his message about peace. When people are reconciled to God, it means there's now peace between them and him. This reconciliation, this peace, can only come... When we allow His Son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us of our sins. As His ambassadors, we're to share the good news with other people. We're to let them know that their sins can be forgiven. They can also have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's the best news that I could ever give anyone. Because you see, if you die without peace with God... You'll have no peace throughout eternity. You've probably been to a funeral home and seen the floral arrangements and they have banners once in a while that say, rest in peace. And I'm sorry to say, but there is no resting in peace if you leave this life without the peace of God in your heart. There's none. And there are untold millions of people on this earth who would love to know more about the peace of God. And as his ambassadors, Paul says, God has given us the work of sharing his message of love and how they can have peace with God. The problem is that many times people who want to know about God's love and peace... Are more ready to hear that good news than we're ready to share it. God needs more of us, more of His people, to commit to being messengers of His love and peace. And it's not really that hard. We we tend to make it a lot harder. You don't have to be a theologian to share with someone that God loves them unconditionally. You don't have to have a reverend in front of your name to let people know that God will forgive their sins and He will make a peace treaty with them. And they can have peace between them and God. And my prayer for for us, for Faith Fellowship, that He will stir our hearts this year to be the best ambassadors we can be as we commit to being messengers of His love. These five commitments define what it means to be a fully committed Christian. So how committed are you this morning? Are you committed to one or two of these that we've mentioned? Or are you committed to all five of them? Are you partially committed this morning or or are you fully committed? God's looking for people he can use to make a difference in this world. And he wants to use you, and he wants to use me. And I know that he will use us to make a difference if we'll make a total commitment in our lives to him. If you decide to say yes to God, I want you to know that you're not going to be going it alone. The purpose of this church is to help you. Everything we do at Faith Fellowship is to help people fulfill these five commitments. You're not going to be on your own. We're going to have your back, and we're all in this together. Someone may be thinking, well, you know, I'd like to make these commitments you're talking about, but uh, I'm afraid I won't be able to keep them. And I'll stumble and I'll fail. Well, guess what? You may stumble and fail, like all of us have. But remember, God doesn't ask for perfection. He asks for commitment. And he says to all of us this morning, these are the things I want you to do. Now, will you make the commitment to do them and become stronger spiritually in your Christian life in 2016? Will you? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you made a commitment to us by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, that we might have our sins forgiven, and that in accepting him, we might have peace with you, not only in this life, but for always, for eternity. Lord, help us to be more committed in 2016 to do these things that you've asked us to do. Lord, we want to be obedient to you. We want to be used by you to make a difference in our world. And Lord, we know that you will use us if we commit. And I pray today that all of us, before we leave this room, will say yes to Jesus. We'll say, yes, Lord God, I commit my life. In all of these five areas, I make that commitment this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There will be some prayer teams on both sides. If you'd like to pray with someone this morning, feel free to come up forward. God bless you.